Let us worship God. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for our reading for today from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Let us pray. 
Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of all those sheep throughout the ages who have carried them down to us. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that a fresh word might fall upon us today. Amen. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silvers a coin, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
Good morning. These um, parables, these stories that Jesus tells, uh, always make me think of my time uh, working with the Marin Interfaith Street Chaplaincy, uh, where I spent uh, 15 years as a chaplain before starting my work as a clinical pastoral educator. This work with homeless people uh, taught me a lot. I learned about compassion and love and forgiveness in ways that um, surprised me and invited me to imagine new ways of being in relationship with all people. This phrase, uh, homeless people, uh, just conjures up all kinds of feelings and images in people's hearts and minds. And for just a moment, we let those words hang in the air between us, homeless people. When we hear a word like homeless, each of us has a different uh, set of images and understandings that we relate to that word depending on our experiences. This label, homeless. And what about the label of sinner? What kinds of images come up for you around that word? We don't like calling people sinners because of the images that the word sinner evokes. We don't like being called sinners because of how that word makes us feel. That word sinner, it cuts deep for some of us. And we can see perhaps from our experience of that word sinner that the imposition of a label onto another person has a profound effect. And that word sinner, it implies that there is an opposite, that there is such a thing as a righteous person, a person without sin. And uh, it, this word gets used sometimes in not very kind ways by those who believe that they are the righteous. And some people have that word sinner imposed on them and it keeps them feeling miserable and guilty and ashamed. Just like that word homeless makes reference to this essential thing that so many of us have and so many still lack. And sometimes it gets used in not very kind ways by those of us who believe that we have a place to call home. And some people have that label homeless imposed on them and it keeps them feeling miserable and guilty and ashamed. These words hold a lot of power. And I know I forget that from time to time. When I first met Daryl, I was standing in the waiting room at the day service center of the Ritter Center. And he came right up to me and started into a very impassioned speech about 
how this organization and other service providers have it all wrong. $500 million, he said, across this whole country and all that money given to places like this to do what? What kind of help are you giving me? It's just enough to keep us on the bottom, to keep us in our place, keep us where we belong, separate. I was kind of taken aback. The day service center was pretty small and it was pretty quiet at that time and he was standing very close to me and his eyes were squinted, his lips were curled over his teeth and I tried to take a step back as he continued, they make their business about us but they should be spending that money on us, not on salaries like you to help us, you're part of it. Everyone here is part of it. Just because I don't have a place to live doesn't make me hopeless. I'm capable. I'm capable of making my own living. Use that money to let us build places where we can grow food and learn trades. You give me a bag of groceries or a sleeping bag, what good does that do me? You say you're helping, but you're just helping to keep me down. Give me a way to stand up, and I'll stand up. You bet I will. By this point, he was getting pretty loud. And I was getting uncomfortable. I was getting uncomfortable because I could feel the truth that he was speaking. He was speaking from the depth of his experience and his pain, and in his face I could see the grief of a nation and a world that works so hard to keep us divided. And in the impossibility of that situation where there are two sides, the ones who are right and the ones who are wrong, the ones who lift people up and the ones who keep people down, the sinners and the righteous and the rich and the poor, and I like to think that I lift people up and I like to think that I'm righteous, but I'm on the wrong side of this equation because I am part of this system that seduces me into being a sinner and that is so much larger than I am and over which I have so little control. And so does me doing these little things really add up to something significant? Because there are two sides, aren't there? I really want to be on the right one. And here's someone saying that I'm not. And I can feel the truth with a capital T beneath his truth. And I'm confused because there in that moment, I'm not really sure which side I'm on because I agree with him and I want to argue with him at the same time. And this makes me very uncomfortable. And sometimes when I get uncomfortable and I can't quite figure out what to do in the moment, I shut down. And so I said, I hear you, brother. And I took out my phone and I looked at my text messages. He glared at me. See, you're just like all the rest of these hypocrites. You don't care enough to even listen to what I have to say. I have a plan and you don't want to hear it. There's a way to fix homelessness forever and I know what it is. He opened the door, stepped halfway through it, turned back and shouted at me, it's love. More love is what it is. He opened the door, slammed it behind him, and the place was quiet for a moment. You could have heard a pin drop. Then someone said, 
Well, he didn't sound very loving. The door swung open again just then, and Daryl walked through the door, made a beeline to my nose, and said very calmly and clearly, I think that was very rude of you. You're supposed to be a man of God, dismissing me to check your phone. That was very rude. Then he turned on his heels and walked back out the door. I was stunned. I thought about that for the rest of the day. I thought about it as I walked around town, as I answered emails, as I ate my lunch, as I looked at my phone. It's pretty amazing what happens inside of me when someone tells me I've done something wrong. There's a little switch that gets flipped. And even when I know deep down that they're right, there's something inside of me that wants to push back against that accusation. You know, I knew I was wrong. I knew I had really missed an opportunity, that I had acted inappropriately, that I was in fact rude to Daryl. But still, there's a part of me that wants to justify that. Well, he started it. He yelled at me. He accused me of being something that I'm not. He deserved my rudeness. So this little battle raged inside of me for the better part of the day, and since I didn't know if I would see Daryl again, I resolved that I at least needed to get it right with myself. I had to wrestle inside of the tension between what I did and what I wished I had done and somehow find some peace and grace. What Jesus does in this morning's scripture is he moves the margin into the middle. He moves the margin into the middle. He disrupts things as they are and offers an entirely different way of being in relationship with others. The people on the margins are there for a reason. Their actions have labeled them as sinners. That label makes them um, impure. If others are to remain pure and righteous, there can be no contact with impure sinners. They deserve the margins. It's not so different these days, is it? Except it's maybe more ambiguous. Jesus lives this out. His critics are so deeply entrenched in the system they uphold, they can't even see another way. They're so much a part of a system that keeps sinners separate that they can't even imagine being in the same circle with them, let alone listening to them or eating with them. And these parables that Jesus tells illustrate this so well. One thing I think we miss is that Jesus is being hyperbolic here. It's preposterous, actually, for a shepherd to leave his flock to find one lost sheep, to leave the 99 unattended in a field, to go 
batting about in the thistles to find that one, there's money to be lost there. Who gets excited about a lost coin? Who gets so excited that they throw a party when they find it? Have you ever done that? I, I haven't. I don't know anyone who has. You know, spend more on the party than the coin that I found. And I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's about the celebration. It's about the celebration that we can have when we welcome the sinners and the tax collectors back into the center of the circle. If Jesus is the one who goes looking, the other characters in this metaphor are the lost sheep and the celebrants. Are you the lost sheep or are you the one who's celebrating? This is what Jesus is setting up for us. This is the sides. There are no sides. There's the lost who are found and the ones who celebrate their return. Jesus shifts the focus and invites his critics to imagine what it would be like if they were actually the community of celebration that rejoices when the lost are found. The tax collectors and the sinners, they came to Jesus. He didn't go out looking for them. They came to him, probably because he didn't call them sinners. And because he listens to them. He eats with them. He doesn't send them away or put them in their place. He sits in the center of the circle with them. And in the center of the circle, there are no sides. There's only more love. My uh, encounter with Daryl uh, happened to be on a Tuesday. So I headed up to the Presbyterian Church across from the library in San Rafael for our weekly wellness gathering and dinner. And the cooks were bustling in the kitchen, and I set about to helping Bob set up chairs and tables, and people were starting to arrive. And we went outside to start our opening circle. And who should walk into the parking lot but Daryl? My heart uh, started to beat a little faster as the tension and shame of our earlier interaction rose up inside of me, I wondered why he decided to show up here. Did he know I was the one who leads this group? Daryl looked at me and he smiled. It wasn't one of those, I'm gonna get you smiles. It was a warm and genuine smile. His eyes opened and he looked at me and he said, thank you for this circle of welcome. As we were walking back inside, I turned to him and I stumbled into an apology. Hey, Daryl, listen, I'm really sorry about earlier. You were right. I was rude. I could have listened to you. I should have. You seemed really upset and I didn't help that. I'm sorry. 
Well, thank you, Daryl said. That's a sincere apology. That's something I haven't heard in, gosh, I don't know how long. People don't seem to like to apologize anymore, especially to someone like me, to someone on the bottom of things. And he held out his hand, and I took it in mine. And then we sat together with the gathered community. We ate together. We talked and laughed together, and we all walked away filled. Jesus is asking for more love. More than being happy with the way things are, more than being content with the loss of one sheep or one coin, Jesus is challenging his critics and us to reflect more deeply on what is actually happening. He's saying that these sinners are worth something to him, to God, to the larger community. And these ones who we call sinners are at the very center of the celebration that is the beloved kingdom. I know Jesus uh, made a lot of people very uncomfortable. And I like to think, I like to hope that maybe Jesus' critics felt something like what I felt when I was faced by Daryl. And maybe they walked around with that experience all day that maybe they opened themselves to the mysterious workings of God and felt something shift inside of themselves and Maybe that word sinner took on a bit of a different meaning for them. And maybe the next time they saw Jesus, they went to him and apologized and took his hand in theirs and sat at table with him and ate and drank and celebrated. Amen.
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in song, in word, in silence, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Amen. Are you lost sheep? Are you a celebrant? As you go forth, imagine taking the hand of one another, sharing a meal, and bringing more love in the world. And now, may the grace of God, the loving kindness and compassion of Jesus the Christ, and the sweet, sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with us now and be with us forever. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>